Hey everyone, welcome back to Bucketheads Land Grant Holy Lands College Basketball Podcast. This is episode 31, I believe, and despite what Justin wants, this is not a Kent State podcast. My name is Connor Lamonts, and I'm here with Justin Golba. We've got a great episode lined up, um, talking a little Big Ten tournament, talking a little Nebraska Cornhuskers, unfortunately, and then we talk to Thomas Costello, who covers Ohio State women's basketball here for Land Grant Holy Land and also covers the Columbus crew um, over at Massive Report, which is their SB Nation site. Yeah, as Connor said, this is now a Kent State basketball podcast. Uh, we're excited to talk Golden Flashes. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Kent, veto, State has won, veto, veto, Kent State veto. has won 11 straight games, though, and if you are a college basketball fan, one of the best conference tournaments this season will be the MAC. So tune into that. Oh, um, dude, the MAC, the MAC tournament's going to fuck. That's going to be so much fun. Yeah, the MAC tournament's always a good one. And there's probably six teams, honestly, that can win it. So, including Akron, who Ohio State saw this year. Let, let's pull. I'll pull this back around. Uh, including Akron, who Ohio State saw this year. Akron's playing late, won like five straight games too. Um, and back to Ohio State. Unfortunately, they're still playing basketball, kind of. And um, you know, they're coming off uh, probably the two. I, I mean, uh, you can maybe. Is this the worst 48-hour stretch? In the past four years for Ohio State, do you think, Connor? Mm. Just with everything that went on, I would have to. I would have to think about it, but it's it's very possible. <laughs> it's it's <Just>, close. <laughs> it's I have to think. I, they've had some tough January. They've had some tough Januarys, but I, I'd have to I'd have to think about it. But I was, maybe I was talking to my dad about this last night because he texted me. He just texted me after the. At, we don't text like during games. So he'll just text me like little comments after, and he texted me like. The minute the Nebraska game is over, he just goes, oof. Um, and that's pretty much the way to word that. It's oof. I mean, the, coming from last Thursday to where, I mean, we were doing what happens if Ohio State wins, you know, out, can they win a big – now, the good caveat I'll say to that is Wisconsin beat Purdue. So Ohio State didn't actually have a chance at a Big Ten championship anyway. So that's kind of a good thing. If Purdue would have won, it, it would have made the 48 hours a lot tougher – Shout out to Bellevue West Chucky Hepburn for that game winner. Um, and shout out to and shout out yeah, to the it was, it was a bank shot, so it doesn't count, right? Yeah, shout out to the dude on my Twitter mentions who's like, well, he banked it, so that's like an air ball. I'm like, well, that's every bank shot ever, but we can talk about that later. Um, so that's the only caveat I'll say to like this whole 48 hour stretch was that Wisconsin beat Purdue. So Ohio State losing to Maryland, Nebraska didn't actually cost them a Big Ten championship because Purdue would have had to beat Wisconsin. So but um, yeah, I know you did a uh, you did an emergency podcast last night. I actually didn't have Wi Fi. The high state losing so bad, it, it burnt out my Wi Fi. So, um, yeah, you know, what what uh, what was just your original thoughts on kind of what you saw? I mean, you were at the game. I, I know Adam Jardy at one point tweeted that it felt like a funeral inside the shot. Would you Would you agree with that? Yeah, it was, uh, dude. It was. It was un, it was unlike I think any Ohio State game that I have attended probably since Dad Mata was coach. Um, there were some pretty there were pretty there were some pretty low point games when Thad Mata was the coach when like the uh, the vibes were non existent. They lost there to UNC point, Greensboro. Remember that at home? They, they lost to UT Arlington at home. They yeah. lost to Louisiana Tech at home. But there were some <laughs> low points. I think that last night was like right up there with those games as far as like how it felt inside. Like it, there was a. There's a point in the second half when Ohio State was down by like 
nine points, which like nine points with like 15 minutes left is nothing in college basketball. But Zed Keys was out. He had sprained his ankle in the previous game, or was it two games ago? I don't remember. But Zed Key is out with an ankle injury. So Kyle Young started. Kyle Young got hit in the head, so he was out. Joey Brunk played a little bit. He was bad, just because Joey Brunk, I, he, he is bad. We can say that. And so Holtman put Harrison Hookfin in the game with 15 minutes left, down 10 points to Nebraska. And I think that's when, I think that's kind of like when it set in for everybody that we're like, well, that was desperation. Oh, like, that that oh, was like, him trying to pull any rabbit out of the hat that he had. I actually liked it because he did provide some decent defensive minutes. But, I mean, at some point you got to score the basketball, and I don't think Hookfin was really looking to do that. It, it was like we, everybody knew. Everybody in the building, including us over at the media table, like you mentioned, like myself and Jardy and stuff, it kind of like hit everybody like, oh, they're in some deep shit right now, man. This is like – this is like – the danger button is on my desk. I'm pounding it. I'm hitting the danger, but like the panic button so much right now, the panic button is broken. Um, and you could see, it was kind of funny. He was guarding Lat Mayen, Hookfin was, and Hoiberg literally was pointing at Lat Mayen. Yeah. Like, <laughs> get him the ball, get him the ball. So it was like, it was rock bottom. And, uh, you know, it just, it was tough because the guys played with a lot of energy. They didn't play with any energy in Maryland. They played with a lot of energy against Nebraska, um, they just weren't good enough to stop them on defense. And I think that was the hardest part to watch was like these guys were like scoring pretty evenly with Nebraska and they get a bucket, they get it within like four points and they come back down and Nebraska would just score again. It was like demoralizing. Yeah, I mean they hit every big shot they had to hit. It was kind of like the Maryland game just with you know Ayala and, and Fats Russell. And I, you know after the Maryland game, I'm a pretty optimistic person in general. I also don't – I've done a pretty good job of not, like, letting sports completely ruin my life because they used to. I've done a pretty good job with that. Um, but last night definitely put me in the mood. But um, after the Maryland game, I was like, you know what? Everything was just kind of working against them. It was at Maryland. They're honoring the 2002 team, which always brings out emotion in, in guys. You know, you, you know, if you're Fats Russell, you want to play well against, or in front of Juwan Dixon and Steve Blake. You know, I know Scott Van Pelt was there. You know, Fats Russell and Eric Isle, as someone who watches me, I'm from Maryland. I watch every Maryland game. They both had did their you, best games of the did season. You read about, did you read about the kid from Ukraine on Maryland's team? Yeah, there was a kid from Ukraine. Like, everything was just yelling at this game was going to be an upset. That was not the case last night. <laughs> you got to beat Nebraska. And there was just nothing. There's no positive to take away from that. I, I, t- I tweeted after, you know, the um, – the Maryland game is like, look, shit happens, you move on, right? Whatever. Beat Nebraska. There's no longer a Nebraska in front of you. <laughs> you just lost to Nebraska. So now you have to figure out a way to somehow put these two – I mean, you just lost the two teams that are combined in the Big Ten. What, 8-34? and 34? I mean, something like that. No, that's yeah, too many, that's too many that. games. 8-30, 8-30, 8-30. I mean, that's not good. <laughs> okay, it's very bad. And Nebraska <clears> – <throat> I'm not going to sit here and say they're more talented than the record. They probably are. Trey McGowan's hadn't played much of the season. You could see how he really – I mean, he locked he, – he did a good job against Branham. He really ran their offense. I think they would have more wins than they do now if Trey McGowan's doesn't get hurt. But you're still better than Nebraska, and you just got them at home, and you're coming off a pretty bad loss. You just had to bury them and move on. And they did everything but – I mean, they didn't even – like, you could argue they weren't even in the game in the second half. 
you know, they went down by like 10 or eight with like, like you said, they were down by nine with like 15 minutes left. I'm not sure they cut they it just, closer than five. They got it to four with four. a minute left. Right, and right, right, right. And you said they were hitting. And then, and then they had the biggest defensive laps I've seen all season. How does that happen at that time? You go, you just cut the game to four. You, the biggest defensive possession of the game's coming up. You go full press, and then two captains, Lat Mayan gets completely lost. He, he Jimmy Sotos has to hammer him just to make sure he doesn't make an easy layup. And EJ Liddell and Justin Arns, two captains, are looking at each other like, well, "That was your guy." How in the hell does that happen? That that those are things that cannot happen. They happen in the tournament, you lose, right? So it, it's just it's mind blowing. And right there, I mean. If you get a stop, and he, honestly, Lat Mayan only split the free throw, so you still had a chance. I think E.J. Liddell came up and bricked a three-pointer. And I'm not going to blame E.J. Liddell. He had 28 and 14. He did everything he could. And um, six blocks, dude. Yes, what a stud. Yeah, somebody <laughs> has to step the fuck up. I mean, I'm sorry. Like, you know, you can't have your guy. If your best player puts 28 and 14 up against the worst team in the conference, you should win the game. Let's be very frank about that. So, no no, no, E.J. Liddell slander here. We're not Twitter. So, um that that was just man. That was a frustrating I mean, game to watch. Holman was that was the most. I, I'm trying to find the right adjective. Um, I think dejected, it's frustrating. Dejected, dejected, I would say. Confused, baffled. Holtman looked. I mean, towards the end of the game, like he he was like he was like crouched down, and after like another Nebraska bucket, you would just see like his hand just go to his head and his head down. He's just staring at the floor, like not even like not in the least bit hiding his misery like the man was in jail over there um and yeah. some people would say that he deserves to be in jail now but um <laughs> right to right to jail right to jail if you straight to jail if if you want to hear 25 minutes of pure emotion and rambling i think i kept it together for the most part i didn't like go crazy but i pretty much talked about it i it's on spotify now as a emergency podcast that i just recorded by myself and since justin wasn't available here it really was just me just straight on a soapbox for 24 minutes, but it was like, what was frust- What was so frustrating was like, you walked out of the arena and it was like, Ohio state hit pretty much every big shot down the stretch. They had to hit like, like, all right, we cut it to, they did. They we, did. They, they we kept cut it to make an offensive. We cut it to please. six. We got a minute and a half left. We got to get a bucket here. Bang. Got Liddell it. gets a bucket. You cut it to four. The crowd starts getting loud. You're like, all right, all right. They've got the momentum. They've got a chance. Immediately another Nebraska bucket at the other end. It's like, it's and like they're making it was, all the shots they needed to, and they just were incapable of getting a stop at the other end. And I'm so – this is very unprofessional of me, and I, I, I completely forget the great play-by-play. The, the woman that was doing the game last night, the play-by-play, uh, or the, the color analyst, um, I completely forget her name, and I do apologize. But she, she was on point the entire night. She was like, Ohio State is just making defensive errors that you cannot make. They like you said they go they'd be down four and then Bryce McGowan's the only guy you can't lose on that team gets a wide open three. It's like yeah he's five feet behind the line but you know he can hit it so why aren't you in his grill? Like it, it's just things like that and that's to me I don't know where that falls I don't know if that falls on players not knowing the scouting report if that's coaches not getting them prepared but somebody needs to be blamed for that because you you can't have these like it's not like Nebraska is making these insane plays. Bryce McGowan said three. I mean, look, I love Eugene Brown. I really do. I think he's a great player for this team. But, man, Bryce McGowan's had him skating a couple times. And it wasn't even like – it looked like he was tired. Honestly, he looked tired. And I don't necessarily blame him. I mean, if you look at Eugene Brown since Thursday, even going back to last – when they played in Indiana, 
on it was Monday. Yeah, Monday. He's had to cover Xavier Johnson, and then he had to cover pretty much Trent Frazier and Alonzo Plummer, and then he had to cover you know Fats Russell and Eric Allis. So he's had a he's had a hell of a six or eight days. I get it, but you have to figure out some way to just beat Nebraska. You know, like there's just there's just no other way to word it. And I think that was I was listening to Drive the Lane. Uh, they had Adam Jardy on before the Nebraska game, and Adam Jardy kind of put he, you know he as he does always he put it very elegantly. He was like, look. There's no like, oh, if this guy does this or this matchup is this, you just have to beat Nebraska. And this was before the game. So it's like, uh-huh. and he said, he was like, if you lose to Nebraska, it's it's emergency pod time. It's okay. Season's on the line now. And I tweeted this after the game. The last thing you wanted to do to get the, we can jump into the double buy here. The last thing you wanted to do was make Michigan State and Michigan, two teams that are fighting for their lives out here, must win games. They are now must win games. So, you know. They, right now, they do not have the double bye. Iowa did jump them. Iowa's remaining schedule, they play Michigan tomorrow, and they play Illinois on Sunday. Um, and that's at Michigan and at Illinois. So not an easy schedule. They can drop both of those. or they can. Iowa can, at this point, Iowa can lose anybody. Can, they can beat anybody. I think they're kind of in that Ohio State range. Um, so you can't get the three seed. The, the one, two, three are pretty much locked up with the Wisconsin, Purdue, and Illinois. I think Purdue and Illinois can switch, but Wisconsin pretty much has the one. The two and the three are Purdue or Illinois. And then Michigan State's sitting in the sixth spot. So that's a huge game now on Thursday because Michigan State has looked very good and very bad. I mean, they just they just beat Purdue, which as all Ohio State fans know because it really helped Ohio State. Then they came back and they looked horrible against Michigan last night. Uh, A.J. Hogard was sick, who's kind of been their guy over the past couple of weeks. So that does play a role. And they had absolutely no answer for Hunter Dickinson. Um so that also, I mean, he got—he literally was talking so much shit to the Michigan State bench. Tom Izzo stepped in uh, to say something to him. So, like, that's how much Hunter Dickinson was just getting his. So, you know, going into the Michigan State game, you have to figure out how to make this team look like they want to play basketball because the past couple weeks, the past couple games, they just—they look like they want to be anywhere else. Yeah, um, it's going to be two desperate teams, two very desperate teams going at it, which I don't. I'm, I'm I very much I buy into the I buy into the up down theory, which is I oh, yeah. never want to play I never want to play a good team coming off a bad loss because I feel like they're going to be refocused and with Izzo they're tearing into their asses and I think they're going to be refocused to play Ohio State. On the other side, I think that Ohio State's going to have to come out against Michigan State with a whole lot more focus now too because they're desperate. If <laughs> if, if two games ago wasn't the danger zone. And last game wasn't the danger zone. Um, they are, they are almost falling below the danger zone now. Like, like they're you can't lose, you cannot lose these two games. Um, you know the way that it kind of chops up. What's Michigan State at ten and eight? And their last two games are Ohio State and who was their? Let me hold on. What's Michigan State's last game? And Maryland. So Michigan, Michigan State's going to beat Maryland at home. For senior day, so that would I they'll be I'm pretty positive they will beat Maryland at home. The only result at this point that would surprise me is Wisconsin plays Nebraska for an outright for to win the Big Ten. If Nebraska beats Wisconsin, I'll be surprised. Anything else probably can't surprise me at this point. I will I'll check the box for them beating Maryland, which means if they beat okay if they beat Ohio State and they beat Maryland, and Ohio State goes one and one, they would finish twelve and eight. Michigan State would be twelve and eight. Ohio State would drop to the sixth seed. 
if they go one and one, losing to Michigan State, beat Michigan, and Michigan State wins their two games. Um, don't want that. Personally, I don't see the huge difference at this point of a five or a six. The the significant is the four or the five. Well, Pretty much want- to get to get the uh, to get the fourth spot, Ohio State for the most part is they're going to have to win their last two games. Um, I don't see Iowa losing both of those road games the way that their offense has been clicking lately. Yeah, I think Iowa beats Michigan, and I think they lose to Illinois. The one thing I'll say about the five and the six, and I probably sound ridiculous even saying this at this point because we keep – I don't know if it's underestimating Wisconsin or what it is. Like Wisconsin, if they win the Big Ten tournament, they'll be a freaking one seed somehow. But um, I do think I'd rather Ohio State as a four or five win that game probably against Iowa and play Wisconsin than them play the two or the three, Purdue or Illinois. Again, I realize that sounds ridiculous. I think it's just because I've watched this Ohio State team beat Wisconsin by 20, you know? Um, so maybe that's why. But I'd, I'd actually rather play Wisconsin than, than probably what would be Purdue. Or maybe Illinois. Purdue, it, they need to learn how to play defense. That'd be great. I mean, it's it's absolutely just unbelievable how they just refuse to – like they just think they can score 90 a game and win every game. It's not going to work. Um, but I don't know. Purdue is just still – they still scare me for some reason. Yeah, I uh... – I agree. And I just watched uh, Wisconsin beat Purdue, so I don't, yeah. you know, I don't really know why I'm saying that, but it just, I don't know. I, I think it's because I watched Ohio State in a game where Malachi Branham scored zero points, beat Wisconsin by twenty. So maybe that's why. I don't know. Yeah, we sound like haters, but like we do, Wisconsin, but maybe we are. If you look at Ken Palm, they're they're like Ken Palm does calculate. I don't know how he calculates luck. I would love to it's, talk it, to Ken luck, Palm. Luck, Roy. luck means. <laughs> These teams are playing better than I thought they would. That's all that means to Ken Palm. I guarantee it. They, okay, but he's got like these metrics. Like he's got not just ranks but numbers. I'd love to know how he calculates luck because I don't know. You can you can look at the numbers around it and it makes sense. Or you can say, okay, this team is is pretty lucky. So Wisconsin is the worst three point shooting team in the Big Ten. Yeah, Wisconsin does not have a high field goal percentage, just an overall shooting percentage as far as the Big Ten goes. I'd have to pull it up to see the rankings, but I don't think they're even in the top half of the Big Ten in like overall shooting. I don't think they're in the over the top half in defense either. So they have Johnny Davis, who is a superhero. And the rest of their players, in my opinion, are like B players and some C players. Like Tyler Wallace for the most part, pretty reliable, but he's not a star. Brad Davison is a big shot guy, but he's inconsistent. He shoots at a low rate. Wisconsin is number five in Ken Palm's like luck rankings in, in his rankings here. He considers them to be one of the five luckiest teams in college basketball that is winning games despite all the numbers saying they shouldn't have won this many games. And I think most Wisconsin fans would agree with that with what they have and what the numbers say that they probably, they, they don't know Wisconsin fans don't know how they're going to get to how Wisconsin's won 25 games before the conference tournament even starts. So we sound like haters, but the numbers back it up that statistically Purdue and Illinois are quote unquote better teams than Wisconsin. I would rather Ohio state play Wisconsin too. Wisconsin obviously is a better team than Ohio State. They are the Big Ten champions. Ohio just lost to Nebraska. But if I had my pick, I would also like them to play Wisconsin. Gosh, you said Ohio. They're going to be coming for you now. I said Ohio. Yeah. 
<laughs> maybe I said Ohio State. Maybe your mic cut out. I'm oh, not. Did, it, did my mic cut out? Okay, just maybe making you sure. Didn't hear me. I'm not. I'm not Dave Portnoy. I, I I don't get those two schools mixed up too much. Um, but yeah, so they have to get the four seed to to play Wisconsin because if they got the five, you know, I think you'd have to get the the eight to be back up to to play Wisconsin in that corner. So you know, if they want to be in Wisconsin's corner, they got to get the four. Yeah, and that's where I think, and just you know, let, to put some people at ease. No, Ohio State's not on the bubble. No, Ohio State is not a team that's going to go to the NIT. I mean, we can we can kind of put all that talk to to rest. Um, you know, I thought I actually thought that the overreactions can't really come after such a bad loss because it's such a bad loss. Like all reactions are fair, but that to say they're an NIT team is an overreaction. They're going to the tournament probably at this point. I think Andy Katz said it on the on the post game show. If they were to go on, let's say they win their last two, they go on a little bit of run in the tournament, not necessarily win the Big Ten tournament, but maybe make the championship game, knock off Wisconsin or something, they can work their way, honestly, back up to maybe as maybe as high as a four seed, probably a five. If they were to like split these two games, lose in the Big Ten tournament, they're probably a six or seven seed. I don't see them falling below a seven seed. Um, so I think they're in the f- probably five to seven range at this point. Uh, because right. the, 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 the resume still matters. I mean, they still beat Wisconsin by twenty. They still beat Duke. They still beat um, Illinois on the Illinois, road. Illinois on the road. You know, like all those things matter. The the Nebraska game was their first Q three or Q four loss. You know, like it, it's bad, but like everything matters. Not just the past forty eight hours, thankfully. Yeah, teams teams that are being chalked in to the early brackets as a five or a six seed. They're not going to become bubble teams in early March. No. So people were definitely people were definitely tripping. But I think those people that were like, "Oh, we're going to miss tournament," I don't think those people actually watch much basketball because if they actually watch basketball, like you'd know that one loss would not drop a team from like the five line to like an eleven, like just like that. It's not how it works. If you look over at Bracket Matrix, which is what I use always, I think it's like the god of all. Um, bracketology stuff because it compiles every single like bracket that the that the professionals put online. Yeah, they have Ohio State as the highest six right now, so the highest possible six seed, which would, which would pair them up with it would be the lowest possible eleven seed, which oddly enough would be the winner of Michigan and Loyola Chicago in a play-in game. I don't understand how Loyola Chicago is still a tournament team, but that's in a whole another conversation. And I think I would rather Ohio State. I could be crazy, but I think I would rather Ohio State play like a middling power conference team than like a hot mid major. Maybe I'll, I'm crazy, but I'll like I would you. rather I would rather play Michigan in a six eleven than Iona in a four thirteen. Yeah, if that I'll, makes sense. I'll tell. <laughs> I can tell you right now the teams I really want Ohio State to avoid. Just a couple of quick ones. Uh, if they draw these teams, I'm going to be real nervous. And it's Iona and it's South Dakota State. And I know there's a lot of comparisons like 2018 with this Ohio State team, I think, minus the fact that, you know, they're not like they don't have two losses in the Big Ten. Um, outside of the fact that the Big Ten is much bigger, there are some comparisons for the 2018 team. And remember, that's what we were saying when that was a 5 12 South Dakota State with Mike Dom. Everyone's like, man, it's going to be a great game. And it was. And Ohio State, you know, they ended up prevailing. But South Dakota State is still a very good team. They still have two guys that were on that 2018 team that are still on the team now, including their, their leading scorer. So thank God Mike Dom isn't there. But 
Um, they might be better now. They are. They efficient. They're one of the highest efficient offenses in the country. That's who they need to avoid is a high efficient offense because they can't play defense. So uh, they catch an, and Iona's just extremely well coached, extremely talented. Honestly, and I'll say this straight up, not just because I'm a Mac fan, they need to avoid the winner of the Mac uh, because they already barely beat Akron at home. Kent State, Toledo, and Ohio are all three very efficient offenses that can shoot the shit out of the ball. They need to avoid the winner of the Mac straight up, who will probably be a 12 or 13 seed. I specifically named, yeah, the Mac winner in my like my little emergency pod last night. I was like, I think that Ohio State wouldn't have trouble scoring on like a Toledo, but if Ohio State falls behind Toledo by, say, 10 points in the second half, They'll can, run can they them. come back? Yeah, and the Mac is like, in their opening games the past six years, they're like 4-2. and two. Like, they pull off these upsets, mainly because Buffalo was really good for a, a three-year stretch, but still. So, I don't know. Um, I, would, I would rather see Ohio State play, like, a middling power conference, like a TCU or a Notre Dame. Not TCU right now. TCU's on. Or in Iowa fire, State I know versus instead of, like, in Iona or a Toledo, I think. I feel like mentally, for me, I would just be less stressed. Because as soon as you see the matchup of, like, you know, when the when the bracket comes out and it's like, you know, Greg Gumbel's like, the six-seeded Buckeyes will take on the South Dakota State Jackrabbits who went undefeated in the yeah. Summit League. You, everybody's just like, mark that down. Mark that down right now. Well, everybody's going to be like, that's the one. <laughs> to be very honest, last year, I didn't have the same – I didn't have the mark it down reaction. But when they said the 15 seed, or as someone who watches a lot of college basketball, when they said Oral Roberts, I said, uh-oh. Because I know who Max Admus was, I know who Kevin Obenar was, and I knew Ohio State was kind of limping into the tournament, I still thought they should win the game. But how, the minute they said Oral Roberts, I was like, oh, that's not a normal 215. <laughs> that's a Duke Lehigh kind of thing with CJ McCullough. You know what I mean? So, um, not to bring up bad memories, but still, just a, a thought I had. <laughs> next week, once all the next week, once all the conference tournaments are kicking up, we should have a much clearer picture of. Yeah, as there's know, so much that can change are. right now. It's 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 so hard to to really play this game right now. But there's so much has to be done. So next week, or trying to think. So the first four would be Tuesday, Wednesday, right? Huh? We can do. Oh yeah, sorry. The, the, the <laughs> following Tuesday, Wednesday would be like the first four in Dayton. Correct. Yes. So I guess next week we do a little bit of bracket stuff, and like two weeks from now we could probably just like pop it open and, and take a look. But yeah. I, N- nervous that Ohio is going to get one of those hot mid-majors because uh, whew, I, I don't know how that would go. And and I'm never one of those people that like, you know, you'll see like the big thing on Twitter now is their first round exit. I'll never say that about like, there's like maybe two teams I'm comfortable picking just without looking at a bracket because it's so matchup dependent. Like, yeah, I'll pick Gonzaga to win the first round and I'll pick like Baylor. Sure. But like, other than that, I really need to see a bracket, especially this year. Cause I've seen like, I mean, I, I've seen uh, even just like last night we were talking in the Slack chat. Tennessee just beat Auburn, made them look kind of silly, and then they just barely beat Georgia, who's six and twenty. Georgia sucks. They're six and twenty-five. It's like college basketball is in a weird spot right now. It always is, but I, there's there's a lot of teams that I think could make elite eight runs, and I think losing the first round in Ohio State is absolutely one of them. What is I'd say kind of like a last point before we get into the interview with uh, Thomas about the women's team is just. Ohio State's going to be – Ohio State fans can have some kind of optimism about this team because you still have two stars on your team. And the yeah. team deep runs in March, very rarely is it like a team that's like everybody chips in a little bit, there's no star. The teams no. that 
go far have stars. Ohio State has two stars on their team that can carry this team to wins. So I feel like this team still has a ceiling now, even more than a few weeks ago, now that Branham's really started to get into his bag a little bit, that this team still, I feel like, has like a Sweet 16 Elite Eight ceiling. Like they have two guys that could score 30 points together, like each 30 points. But at the same time, they absolutely could lose like a five versus 12 matchup easily. So I don't want folks to think that it's all doom and gloom. Like this team is doomed. They're a first round exit. They have two studs who, if those two studs have good nights together, they could beat most teams. Yeah. My final point is I'll say this and I hate to put it on one person, honestly, but to me, it kind of comes down to it. If there is one player that needs to step up and have the best March of their life. And he came here for this reason to play in March. It's Jamari Wheeler. They need to get good guard play. He is a lockdown defender. He's a guy who can shoot. I mean, he shoots freaking 40% from three. Like, it's not like he can't shoot, but there's sometimes he just he doesn't look for a shot or whatever the case may be. They need Jamari Wheeler to have a very good March. And like he even said it, I came to Ohio State to play in March. He didn't play in March at Penn State. Nobody at Penn State plays in March. So he wanted to play in March, and that's his goal. Here you go. It's March. Let's roll. We said we would talk about Ohio State for about 15 minutes and get an interview. It's been half an hour. So, now that we've officially done twice as much time as we said we would, um, we'll go ahead and get into the interview with Thomas Costello. We talked about the women's team and the Big Ten tournament that started um, this from Thursday, so the Big Ten tournament for the women started yesterday. Um, the Buckeyes have the double bye, so they do not play until Friday, which would be tomorrow. Um, talk some NCAA tournament and their seeding, as well as just in general the bounce back year they've had. So, without further ado, here's our interview with Thomas. So we are here today with Lane Grant, Holy Land's Thomas Costello, who mainly covers women's basketball for us here, but he also covers the Columbus crew over at SB Nation's crew site, The Massive Report. Thomas, thanks for taking some time this afternoon to uh, talk to us about the women's team. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So we will jump right into it. Um, you know, we'll talk about the women's team and kind of the season they've had thus far. Uh, you know, the, they made a pretty significant jump from last season to this season, and you know, obviously everything that happened last season has to be taken with a grain of salt with COVID-19 pauses and issues. But, um, you know, they won five more Big Ten games this year. They won their, their they shared their conference title. They're in the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2018. Uh, they were on a four game. They were on a four year run of 2015 to 18. And then, um, you know, two years ago, there was no tournament. Last year, they had the self-imposed ban. You know, just what contributed to them taking that big step forward this season? Yeah, it's uh, that's a good question because coming into the season, you mentioned the postseason ban. They lost their two starting forwards. They lost oh, one, uh, Aaliyah, Aaliyah Patty to Texas A&M, and then Dorka Uhas, she went to UConn. So on paper, coming into the season, it didn't look great. It didn't look like it was going to be um, an ideal bounce back from their first, you know, having their first year having tournament eligibility. So they brought in Taylor Mikesell. She's from Northeast Ohio, actually the same high school as me. I won't say when either of us graduated. Um, she she joined from Oregon, by the way, of Maryland. And she 
is a lights out shooter. She's been fantastic, but uh, she got eligibility right before the season started. Then the day before the season, they lost their starting point guard uh, in, in Madison green. And it was, it looked like it was going to be a tough season, but honestly, I, I, I think their shooting has been really huge and their defense this year, they've done uh, outside of a few outliers and probably talk about those as uh, the interview goes on. They've, they're a team that runs on energy and they know where each other is at. They do a, a pretty strong press uh, on, on defense. That's their game plan. And it, it works most of the time outside of situations where maybe they're playing against a team who has a really dominant big or to someone dominant inside the paint. But no, they've just, they've had a really good season. I mean, they won the championship. You can't get much better than that. But I think what really helped them at the beginning of the year is that they had not that great of a non-conference schedule. And I think we're going to talk about that and where the NCAA ranks them, but they didn't have the strongest non-conference schedule. I think that gave them time to, to gel and build confidence because this is a team that I think really thrives on having confidence and going on, you know, runs where some games are winning on points, some games are winning on defense and they've just kind of been adaptable all season. Yeah, and you mentioned kind of the resume. That was going to be my next point. Um, Self-admittedly, you know, I used to work at the arena, so I used to be very, very aware of what was going on with the women's program. Since I've stopped working over at Value City Arena, I have not caught a whole lot of their games. So I was looking at bracket predictions, bracketology, and stuff like that for the women's tournament. With Ohio State winning the Big Ten or share, but I thought they would be a pretty high seed. But it's looking like, ESPN, NCAA's March of Madness site have them as a five or a six, despite winning the Big Ten. Their co-champ Iowa is a four, mm-hmm. it looks like. And then Maryland and Michigan, who I think are third and fourth place, are projected three seeds. So can you kind of explain the landscape, I guess, of like the Big Ten teams and kind of why they're distributed that way or they're predicted that way? Yeah, I, I give a lot of credit to the non-conference schedules of a team like uh, Michigan and a team like Maryland and Indiana. I mean, Michigan, they went to Baylor earlier this season and knocked them off. Uh, it, it, I think it was their first or second win against a top two, top like number one seeded opponent. Um, so they they had stronger non conference schedules, and then we know that preseason rankings and early games really mean a lot when it comes to your your end of season seeding. But looking at the Buckeyes schedule, they beat uh, three ranked teams. No, uh, actually, the only one two ranked teams. They beat Maryland in January, and they beat um, Iowa actually last month in Iowa, they, they beat them there. The, the Caitlin Clarks, uh, they, they are able to knock them uh, all away from home, but they haven't had those real marquee non-conference schedule games that boost you into those at the end of the season, higher positions. Now they've, they've taken on all comers in the big 10. They've only lost to three teams in the big 10, um, uh, albeit Michigan twice and <laughs> Indiana once, and they just lost narrowly to Maryland. Their two losses, uh, or those three losses to Indiana and Michigan, those really hurt them too because they were they were by double digits. I mean, they weren't they weren't close games. I mentioned before that um, Ohio State they they lost two forwards. They're playing uh, up front on four. Rebecca Mikulashikova, who she had not she'd started one game in her previous two seasons at Ohio State. And she started 27. Now this year, she started every single game. 
And you have Tanae Beecham, who has played a role player role for the Buckeyes in the last uh, couple seasons she's been here, but she had much larger role this season. So teams that Ohio State plays that have those bigs, that have a Nas Hillman or uh, or Mackenzie Holmes, Nas Hillman with um, Michigan and Mackenzie Holmes with Indiana, those are the games where Ohio State struggled, and I think that's what's really hurt them. I think the one non-conference thing that would have helped them, they've had UCLA, who was a ranked team at the time, but the game got uh, canceled due to UCLA's COVID-19 issues they had at the end of December. So the game got canceled altogether. That could have helped them. But I I look at their resume and I look at their season and a five seed makes sense. I, I think if they win the Big Ten tournament, which means they'll have to go through potentially in Indiana in the semifinals and potentially a Michigan in the final, if they can kind of exercise those demons from the regular season and beat one of those two teams, maybe you could see them jumping up to a four or depending how good they look in the tournament, maybe like squeak into a three, but that's, that's just my own thought from watching them this season. The NCAA, their net rankings, which are new the last couple of years, a lot of it's based off of who'd you beat, who'd you lose to, and what were the margins in those yeah. games. Ohio State, they have met 31. So you're pretty much saying that you know any games that Ohio State was favored to win, they took care of business in the games where it seemed like it might be a little bit of an uphill battle. You're saying they were usually beat pretty handily. Um, yeah, they've only lost, what, five games this season. The one in Syracuse, which Syracuse is really on a, a downturn. It was their first away game of the year. They had, uh, I think it was Tanai Hyman. She had 30 points for Syracuse. It was a 97 to 91 <laughs> game. It was all offense. Their defense, it, I think that was their first test and it didn't look great. But those games in the conference against India and Michigan, they were all by close to 20 points i think both michigan games were by 20 points yeah that didn't that definitely didn't help um and you know a lot of people when it comes to the men's team they talk about how they haven't been able to get to the sweet 16 uh kevin mcguff since he got there in 2013 has been in the sweet 16 uh twice but he hasn't gotten them past that point obviously just you know it's tough to look at it right now but if you are five seed that sweet 16 game you would be pegged up against the one seed um, do you think this team can knock off one of the top teams in the country as a one seed and move to lead eight, or do you think they need to take a couple more steps forward first? I don't think that I could see Ohio State beating a one seed, and maybe uh, I'm sure I'm not the only person who said that. I don't think they could beat a one seed if they had to play like a a South Carolina. Oof, I, it's hard for me to see that happening. Any team that has that real dominant big like if you see uh, if you see boston from south carolina play against the buckeyes i think that could be potentially ugly just because that's their their kind of weak point i think ohio state can take on those teams that are more like one-dimensional uh, if like against uh, nebraska for instance they had the freshman of the year um, in their as their center and she had a great game against ohio state but ohio state was able to neutralize any guards they were able to neutralize any of the role players around the center let her have a good game but then we can stop the people on the perimeter i think if you play a team that can have a dominant big and then you have dominant guards on the outside like these one seeds do i think getting to the sweet 16 and if they were to compete with a one team one seed that would be great but i i honestly think that they would have to bring in some other folks they have somebody 
on their team now. They have a freshman, uh, Taylor Theory, who at the beginning of the year hadn't played very much. She came in kind of junk minutes whenever the team's already up or maybe against Michigan when you're already down by a substantial amount. But she's in 2022, end of January, right around when they beat uh, Maryland, uh, ranked Maryland on January 20th. She is probably one of the coach says this every time we interview him and other players say it about Taylor. She is the most athletic person on the floor. No matter what team they're facing, she can jump the highest. She can move the quickest. She does. Um, she averages a block a game, which doesn't sound like much, but she only plays around 14 minutes a game. That's her average. And she's in her uh, against Penn state last week, she had six blocks in one game. So she is really coming on strong. Maybe if you put her against those bigs, because she's the most athletic, you could slow them down. But I don't bet. But if I did, I would probably put it on a one seed if they make it to that Sweet Sixteen. Could you, um, if, we, if we put our if we put our tinfoil hats <laughs> on here, if you want to fill in the blank, like for say, if Ohio State was to make an Elite Eight or a Final Four run. This this is how it would have to happen. Like this is the the equation that would have to happen for Ohio State to make that kind of run would be like blank. And conversely, if they end up losing like second round, like not even making it to the six sixteen, it would most likely be because blank. Okay, I think if they make it to an elite eight, a final four run, they would have a tournament like you saw Steph Curry have at Davidson, or you saw last year with Ari McDonald had with Arizona. Taylor Mikesell, she can shoot. She had, she was hitting 50% of her free, uh, her threes up until a couple weeks ago. She had a rough week over the last week of shooting where a rough week for her is like shooting 30% from three. She averages 47% from deep. If she has a run in the NCAA tournament where She's knocking them down because most games she's hitting 50% or around there. If she can hit over that and get on a run like you saw a Curry in college or like I said, McDonald last year for uh, Arizona's women's team, that is going to propel Ohio State because that gives J.C. Sheldon more space to work. That even allows folks in the paint to to make moves like Mikulashikova or, or Beecham to come in. If Mike Sell's hitting on all cylinders, I think the sky is kind of the limit for for Ohio State. On the other side, if they were to lose out in the second round, I think it's because kind of the converse or the, the opposite of what we were talking about a second ago with Mike Sell, if their shooting calms down and if they get into a cold shooting run, they're not going to be a team who is going to fight the boards. They get out rebounded most of the games uh, this season. Ohio State's been out rebounded that's going to probably be their their dagger if they can't hit their shots and also if a team can kind of break through their press ohio state can frustrate teams they have had um i think it's the yeah the they've forced the most turnovers per game ohio state has of any team in the big 10 they really frustrate people i mean they caused maryland in that loss in maryland's loss back in january to ohio state it was like 18 turnovers if Ohio State, if they can't frustrate somebody with their defense and they're not shooting, it's you could see it ending earlier. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, we, you kind of touched on this a moment ago. So if you want to continue to you know, sing the praises of the same few folks you just did, you totally can. But so JC Sheldon, Taylor, Mike's all kind of their scoring tandem. They're both around 19 points per game. Fun to point out. They're both local Ohio kids too, which is yeah. really cool. I love when college teams are mostly based with local talent and then, you know, are able to compete with some of the bigger, more talented teams in the country. For those people who haven't watched a ton this season or are kind of just tuning in now for the postseason. Who are a few of the unsung heroes on this team who folks should keep their eye out for um, in the Big Ten tournament? I think you need to uh, – in the starting lineup, she started all the games this year, Braxton Miller. She is um, <laughs> not that Braxton Miller. Uh, everyone always thinks about that. And I've heard so many people who commentate it at, this, at the arena bring up his name. Um, Braxton Miller, she is a senior guard. She transferred from Oklahoma State University, so one, from one OSU to another a few years ago and she um def- offensively she might hit a three or two in a game uh, one game this year she had 14 15 points that was her max on the season but defensively she is just plus minus like she runs the plus minus on Ohio State when she's on the floor she's able to get in the face of the best players on the opponents offensively. She doesn't get tricked very often. You're not going to see her get dribbled past. She's able to stand in the lanes and, and stop people from getting to the basket. So Braxton Miller's a big one. I mentioned her name a moment ago, uh, Taylor theory. She's a freshman, but McGuff is using her a lot more. She's really kind of the first to come off the bench now. Uh, theory is and it's for her defensive chops she's still lacking a little confidence offensively she's a freshman she's also from cleveland so she's another ohio kid um i have seen her block threes <laughs> right right whenever like they throw it up and she can leap in the air higher than anybody else there's a video um, on ohio state social media you can watch it it just came out a couple days ago where in practice she was she was grabbing the rim she was <laughs> she was pulling herself up on the rim so she has potential to wow people and come out of nowhere. I just, I think maybe the confidence piece might be an issue against Maryland where they lost by the five points. She came in defensively, but she got a couple fouls early and she lost that confidence. Like she was afraid to get another foul. She didn't want to be taken out of the game. So she didn't play as hard as she, she usually does. But when she comes in, Number 14, she's the person you should watch. She will steal, block, um, assist. She's finally starting to get some offensive chops. She's not anywhere close to like a Sheldon or a Mike Sell, but um, when she's in the game, she changes it completely. And uh, so when you guys, when when this releases, it'll be Thursday, March 3rd, which will be the second round of the Big Ten tournament kind of kicking off. Um, it looks like Ohio State plays Friday at 11:30, so a little bit of a, a little bit of a brunch game there. Um, and they play the winner of Purdue and Michigan State as the one seed. That's the eight and the nine game. They just played Michigan State, their final regular season game of the year. And if they win, they'll probably play Maryland as the four seed on Saturday at 3:30. All these games are on the Big Ten Network. Um, just give us a little preview heading into the Big Ten tournament. Obviously, it's you know it's it's a kind of a juggernaut being the one seed, but also playing these teams like. Like you, like we said earlier, Maryland's yeah. a four seed in the Big Ten tournament, and likely will be a higher seed in the in the actual tournament. So, uh, just talk a little bit about the tournament and maybe mm-hmm. getting some momentum heading into heading into the big dance. Yeah, uh, for Ohio State playing Michigan State potentially, uh, I think Michigan State's the better of the two. I mean, they've beat the Wolverines this year. That was one of the reasons why Ohio State is co-champion because Michigan State was able to knock their in-state rivals off. 
uh, Purdue. Ohio State played them early on in the Big Ten schedule, and they they handled them pretty well. I don't I don't see Purdue beating Michigan State. I think the early game to watch is Maryland versus potentially Indiana. They have to go through either Rutgers or Penn State. But if Indiana loses to Rutgers or Penn State, there are much bigger problems going on uh, with Indiana. They they were a t- they were the top ranked. Uh, they were right behind Maryland. Excuse me. They were behind Maryland in the preseason rankings, and they made a, a late run last year in the NCAA tournament. Indiana could have actually won the conference this year, but they lost three of their last five coming into it. I think Maryland versus Indiana. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Maryland beats them, even though they did in the last game of the season. I, I think Indiana will come in extremely motivated and. I think that's the early game to watch, uh, Indiana versus Maryland. I, after Ohio State plays on Friday, I'm watching that game because I assume Indiana is going to be in it. Uh, on the other side of it, I think it goes down to Michigan and Iowa. Iowa just didn't beat Michigan. They they decimated Michigan in the last game of the regular season to help Ohio win that co-championship with them. It's, uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think it's, there's going to be a lot of good matchups, but Michigan came into this tournament losing four or five. Indiana came in, like I said, losing three or five. Ohio State and Iowa really, they shouldn't be the co-champions looking at the resumes of Indiana and Michigan. So I think Michigan and Indiana especially are going to come into this tournament either really motivated or you're going to see a team that's kind of defeated from how their regular seasons ended. I think it's more going to be the former rather than the latter. I think it's going to be a really competitive place, especially looking at those NCAA rankings and they could, they're fighting for seeding right now and they want to get a, a higher seed in that tournament so they can make a late tournament run. Thomas, I have one last question for you before we get you out of here. And this is <laughs> in a completely different direction, but it'll be interesting to get your take on it mm-hmm. with the women's program versus the men's, the Schoenstein center as a basketball venue gets some heat for men's games for not being able to fill up that cave enough to make it loud for hockey. Sometimes um, they also get some heat except for hockey. They do. I know drop the curtain yeah, down. They, they might do. drop the curtain down for women's games as well. In your opinion, in your opinion, how do you see the shot as a women's basketball venue? Do you think it would be more beneficial for the women's program to maybe play some of their games over at Cavelli? Um, I haven't been to a women's game in, in I think I haven't been to one this season. I was there for one last season. Um, I would just love to hear your take on that because even the men's team struggles sometimes to make it a good atmosphere for college basketball. Yeah, I, I, I would, I would agree. The, the Shanstein center is probably not ideal for playing the, the women's basketball games and especially the men's basketball games. I see pictures of the games where I see, you know, stuff online. I see people tweet things out and it, I mean, it looks pretty full. The lower bowl gets pretty full. The edges or the corners get kind of sparse at that point. But um, for the women's games especially, yeah, I think on on the ends, you really only have the band on the one end. And then on the um, east end of uh, of the arena, sometimes it's just us in the media on the corner. It's... It definitely feels cavernous. Uh, they played in the Cavelli Center once this year. They played against Cincinnati, uh, actually on the day that Ohio State men's football they lost to Michigan. It was the same night, but even then, that night, the Cavelli Center had a really good crowd, and I thought that it was a good size to 
to kind of fill it out. I think you could fill that up for, for women's games and it would be more of a home court advantage than the Schottenstein Center. The Schottenstein Center is kind of quiet, like you all said. Um, maybe for games against Michigan, if Ohio State has a strong team, a high-ranked team, if you can get more people, then you can move it to the Schottenstein Center if it's available. But yeah, I, I think the Cavelli Center is probably your best bet because um, it, it, it would it would give them more of an advantage for sure. Okay. Yeah. I was just curious. And I mean, they have really nice facilities, practice facilities, weight room and stuff all like that, that obviously are super valuable to the program, but um, you know, the size of the arena itself, sometimes yeah. it does get kind of you know cavernous. Justin, do you have anything else for him before we get him out of here? I'm all good. I just appreciate you taking the time with us, Thomas. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, uh, they start Friday at 1130. I will be covering the first game from home. But if all things go the Buckeyes way, I'll be out at the tournament in Indianapolis this weekend um, covering them. But yeah, keep appreciate folks who read anything I've written about the team on Langrand Holy Land. And thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. All right, thanks again to Thomas for jumping on and talking to us today. Uh, if you want to follow along with him throughout the Big Ten tournament and NCAA tournament, as he said, he'll probably be down at the at, on site for some of those games. Uh, you can find him at 1ThomasCostello on Twitter. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow the podcast at BucketheadsLGHL. Uh, there will not be any tweets coming from there tomorrow or today, I guess, for the Michigan State game as Connor will be at the game and I have a 7 o'clock showing to see Batman. So, uh, but you can follow me on Twitter at just underscore Golba. And like I said, since we won't be tweeting from the Bucketheads account tomorrow or today, I keep saying that, uh, today you can follow Connor on Twitter who will be tweeting from the game. Connor, what is your Twitter? Uh, you can find me at Lamans, which is L E M O N S underscore Connor. Maybe I'll log into the Bucketheads account, try to tweet from there as well. I don't know. Um, I think I, I said before, like, Twitter's just real toxic. I try not to be on two accounts at once, just it, yeah. absorbing double the negativity at once. But we'll see. Maybe <laughs> I'll log into that one, too. But I'm at LeMans underscore Connor. The main website is at LandGrant33, where everything is. Um, appreciate you guys listening to us and going for the ride this whole season. Um, have a great weekend. Go Bucks.